Today's reading is from Ruth, chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. The word of the Lord. Happy Mom's Day to all of you uh, moms, and uh, we bless you and uh, really do thank God for you and for the blessing that you are to us. You know, Mother's Day is uh, fairly challenging for preachers. I don't know if you know that or not. Uh, What do you say that hasn't been said before a thousand times? And so I asked my wife if I might just uh, continue on with the first Peter series, hoping she would say, well, that would be fine, but... uh, she said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so we're going to take a detour from First Peter, and we'll come back there next week. I listened to my wife. She has, she has good words for me. Uh, some of you might uh, dread Mother's Day sermons. Uh, you might, uh, you might uh, just as soon do ten loads of laundry or have a root canal as uh, listen to a guilt-inflicting Mother's Day sermon. Well, relax, I've learned long ago that guilt inflicting produces very little. So I don't want to add to the pressure that comes from being a mom or for some not being a mom. I think, uh, I think this could be a message uh, for not only moms, but uh, for dads and for grandparents. So if you're not a mom... Forget about reading your emails. Uh, doesn't mean you have the day off and uh, you're not released for brunch yet, so hang in there with us, dads and grandparents. I'm going to have you put your thumb or your finger uh, over in the book of Ruth, if you would, uh, 
that was so well read for us this morning and we gave you some pretty tough names there, Ryan, so thank you for reading them. Uh, it's kind of a hard book to find. It's uh, the eighth book into the Old Testament, so a little closer to the front if you'll find it, if you have your Bible with you. Uh, if you have an electronic gadget, it's not so difficult to find. Uh, and right after the book of Judges, these were the best and worst of times for a young couple that uh, we are introduced to in the early verses of chapter 1. Wedding bells were ringing. The couple were married. Elimelech, it's a fun word to say actually, Elimelech, Elimelech, doesn't remind you of a song. And uh, his wife, Naomi, were married. They had one another. They had God. They were excited about walking together for the rest of their lives. And life was great. And the couple was blessed with two sons. Then, then the first of a long line of hard-hitting stuff began to speed their way. They could have never imagined the arsenal of missiles that would land in their backyard. I, I've watched through the years as some families seem to have to walk through more stuff than any other family. I don't understand it, there, but there are some families that just seem to get hammered and there are no logical explanations as to why. It just happens. Well, famine comes to visit them. There's no food. There's no income. There's no work. There's no way to provide for their boys. And they have to leave for a neighboring country, the country of Moab. In their new country... More tragedy awaits. The husband and the father dies. Suddenly, in the prime of life, he's gone. Their protector, their provider, the one they look to, is suddenly gone. I think of this young pastor and his wife and two children. They moved out to Fort McMurray uh, to join their senior pastor and the congregation. The senior pastor, as I understand it, and the associate had served together in another context. And, uh, and I understand that the senior pastor invited his friend and Timothy in the Lord to come and join them uh, in the growing city of Fort McMurray, where lots of people, as you know, from Newfoundland live. So this young couple and family decided to pick up roots, so to speak, in Newfoundland and begin a whole new life in Alberta and then tragedy hits a couple of weeks ago uh, on Friday. The pastor and his wife and the youngest child in this terrible crash on Highway 63. His oldest son, four years old, uh, has already been taken back to Newfoundland to the family. We saw them on television. The grandpa was holding the, the little four-year-old at the funeral service. Ah. Oh. What devastation. All of a sudden, life has changed for this little guy. Gerald Sitzer uh, is a professor uh, at Whitworth College in Spokane, Washington. About 10 years ago, his uh, minivan was struck by a drunk driver. In a moment's time, he lost three generations. In the car with him were his mother, his wife, and his small daughter. They were all killed. He later wrote a book called A Grace Disguised. 
A Grace Disguised. You know where you got that title. In it, he tells of his loss and experience of grace. And he describes the initial experience of living with the loss in a very poignant way. He writes this. I felt like I was staring at the stump of a huge tree that had just been cut down in our backyard. That stump, which sat all alone, kept reminding me of the beloved tree that I had lost. I could think of nothing but that tree. Every time I looked out the window, all I could see was that stump. Elimelech dies, leaving his wife Naomi, a single mom, in a foreign land. Can you imagine her distress? This mom going through such a tough time. And her boys, uh, we aren't told the ages at the time of, of their dad's death. How long did she have to wait until they were big enough to become the men in the house and start looking after their mom? We're, we're not quite sure from the text. It may be that mom had to take care of these boys for a few years and somehow in the midst of doing that, eke out a living. What a heavy load she carried. Not unlike some of you today. No one knows your pain. Only Jesus. And he comes to stand by you. Some of you will know the woman that I'm going to refer to now. She lost her husband on Christmas Day, many Christmases ago. And she had four boys, a wonderful, godly lady. But now challenged with the responsibility to keep food on the table and guidance for four teenagers, four teenage boys, all grieving themselves, and each one of them trying to find their way. She said humbly and reverently, Jesus has become my husband and my father. He is the one I go to when I feel so all alone and don't know what to do next. And she watched her boys grow up and marry, and those boys have done well walking with the Lord, dedicated to his service. But she could have never predicted the way life would turn out for her. But she walked with God, and God met her in the crises of her life. We don't know how much time passed, but eventually her two sons took for themselves Moabite wives. Ruth, which is the name of the book, and Orpah. But then as if one tragedy were not enough, Naomi's two sons died. Wow. I can't imagine the devastation of losing one child. Nevertheless, two. Besides the deep emotional toll this must have taken on her, there was a very practical side to it. Naomi was now totally without someone to help her provide. There was no unemployment program that she could go on. There was no life insurance policy that was left for her. There was no mutual funds that he left in the estate that she could cash in on. There was no benefit package of any sort that she could resort to. You know, it seems too tragic to be true. And friends, you know it happens today. It happens all over the world today. In the, in the coming months... I'm so excited about this. We want to be introduced to an organization called Compassion Canada. And I feel so strongly that God wants to open our eyes to the pain and to the poverty that's not only in our country, 
but all over the world. And some of these children are alone. Can you imagine being alone without a mom and dad and being eight years old? Some of them are orphaned. They don't have a parent to care for them. And I believe Jesus wants us to see that need, to recognize it, and to do what we can do. Naomi must have been overwhelmed, feeling so responsible for her daughters-in-law, carrying the loss of her husband, carrying the loss of her boys. I'm sure that most days all that she could see was the stump in her backyard. Suddenly, purpose and hope faded from her life, and she didn't know what to do. Her connection to these girls were through her boys. And now what would happen? What I want to underscore today, friends, is is really this. Life is not over when tough things come our way. We get knocked on our back. We feel absolutely devastated. But God is there in our loss, and his heart is to have us rise up to our feet again in due time and move toward healing and meaning and renewed purpose. It's not over. It's not over we're in, when we're in the deepest valley. And the story of Naomi and, and Ruth adds support to this. First, I want you uh, to notice verses 6 and 7 of the first chapter. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughter-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughter-in-laws, she left the place where they had been living, where she had been living, and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. First, the the road back. You, You saw the words in the text. She set out on the road that would take them back. After a season of difficult going, a season of loss, there's a need to find a road that will take us back, back to a place of security, back to a place of, be- of, of new beginnings, back to a place of, of meaning in our lives. I mean, who can foresee the future? What will life look like for you in 10 years? What will life look like for me in 10 years? Uh, None of us know. None of us can predict. For some of us here this morning, I'm sure 10 years from now, life will look fairly much the same as it does today. Might be an odd gray hair that sort of jumps into your hair up here somehow, but, but pretty much will look the same. For others, significant change. And yet we sit here this morning together quite unaware of the paths that our lives will take. And regardless of whether we are people of faith or not, the future is uncertain. And for some, it is just like Naomi. We get hit with one thing after another, and just when we think we're getting our heads above water and we're going to survive, something sneaks up behind us and pulls us back down. Let me ask you this morning, and and some will internalize this question more than others because of your context. How do you deal with your loss? How do you deal with your loss? What kind of choices do you make in order to survive and even survive through something like this? 
Well, is there anyone answer? I'm, I expect there's not anyone answer. But I think there are some common themes. We all have choices to make. One of the choices is, will I take the high road or the low road? Will I walk with God through this or will I become bitter? Will I shove others away or will I welcome them into my life? You see Naomi's choice. She heard that the Lord had visited his people back home and was giving them food. The economy back home had picked up. How timely. She was alone in a foreign land, but things had significantly improved back home. And that's the reason they came to Moab, was to find work, to have an income. Not unlike many who come to Alberta today, things in their home geography are tough at the moment. Wow, we have our televisions tuned in these days, and we see how difficult it is in Greece and other parts of Europe and certain parts of our own country. But Alberta today offers employment. But often our hearts are at home and our families there. So given the right conditions, home is home. And that's appropriate. That's a natural way to think. Naomi made a decision. She was going home. Have you ever noticed uh, in the midst of loss and grief and hopelessness, the hardest thing to do is anything at all that might be, might be in, in a step in the direction of starting over. It's hard to start again. That's the paralyzing impact of grief. It simply devours our desire to start again and to dream and to move forward. Uh, we sometimes just don't have the heart to do anything. Hard to get up, hard to cook, hard to keep the house, hard to socialize, hard to go to church, hard to go to work, hard to meet people. Does anyone resonate with that? You just like to pull the covers up over your head. That's grief. That's loss. But aren't those great words? She left the place where she had been living and she set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. It doesn't matter who you are. Even Billy Graham is saying these days he misses his Ruth. You suffer when you experience loss. It's not the same. Life is different. Naomi made a choice, a very important choice. She decided against pulling the covers up over her head. She decided to live and to receive from God the things that he had for her. She decided to take the road back home. It was a logical choice. There was food there. There were friends back home. There were family members back home. She made a decision. There are many roads to take when we suffer pain and loss and grief. How do we find that road? God specializes in showing us the road that leads us back to the place where we belong again. He hears our cry when we cry, Lord, I'm lost. I'm just lost these days. I don't know where to turn. Where do I go? What do I do with the rest of my life? Look for the road that God is showing you. 
Look for the road that God is showing you. It may be very logical, as it was with Naomi. The crops are good back home. Isn't that logical? I'll go back home. It may be a place to give yourself with the passion in your heart that you have and the gifts and the talents that you have to express. It may be that you're now able to serve in some way that you've not been able to before. And suddenly, God allows you to move in that direction and it's fulfilling to your heart. The choice, the road back home, might be a decision to see a Christian counselor. It might be a decision to get connected to a home group where you can share some of the pain that keeps collecting in your heart. It might be a decision to go out and get a job. Who knows what the road back home will look like? It will not be easy, but it will be a choice to see that here's a first step in dealing with the tough place that you're in. The second uh, thing that's helpful when we go through tough times is our loyalty to one another. The text is fairly dramatic in that Naomi says to her daughters-in-law that they should stay in Moab and they should return to their own people. She says, go back to your mother's home. Isn't that interesting? Go back to your mother's home. And so she kissed them goodbye, uh, but they were not having any of this. They said, no. We will go with you and we will join your people in your homeland. Isn't that amazing? At which point, Naomi is fairly blunt, but definitely convincing. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? In other words, I don't think so. Not much chance of that. Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. I love this verse. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Okay. Those are beautiful words from Scripture. And they often appear as wedding vows. But really, they represent the loyalty between a mother and daughter-in-law. Ruth got it. She loved Naomi. She loved Naomi's God. Even though Naomi is struggling in her understanding of God in her life. There's obviously been some authenticity in Naomi's life that Ruth catches on and says, but I love her God as well. And she says, I want to travel with Naomi for the rest of my life. But you know, it wasn't only Naomi that had suffered pain. It was also Ruth. And if you read the text, Ruth and her husband had been married 10 years. 
without bearing a child. And so even though that was true in her life, she expresses unusual faith and loyalty to Naomi and to Naomi's God. You know, this part of the passage is tremendously important to all of us and a challenge to us. The body of Christ to be supportive and encouraging to one another. Ruth is such a model of loyalty to her mom-in-law. What an example. She made a choice to look out for the interests of Naomi. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a, we have a choice to cling to one another as Ruth clings to Naomi. Our tendency is to isolate ourselves, but our better choice is to extend ourselves. And for those of us who are right alongside of a friend these days or a family member in their loss, you'll never know how much your support means. You'll never know how much it matters that you took some of the heat, that you took some of the anger from that person. You didn't try to rebut everything. You just listened. You just cared. You just understood what they were going through. You understood their anger. And you ministered. And you encouraged. And over time you saw the light come back into their eyes. I read a little story this week. I wasn't quite prepared for the ending. The story goes that Roger Zerbe suffered from early onset of Alzheimer's disease. His wife Becky remembers a journal entry he left for her after a particularly troubling bout of forgetfulness. And she said, I picked up the journal on my pillow and read what he had written. Honey, today fear is taking over. The day is coming when all my memories of this life we share will be gone. In fact, you and the boys will be gone from me. I will lose you even as I am surrounded by you in your love. I don't want to leave you. I want to grow old in the warmth of memories. Forgive me for leaving so slowly and painfully. Blinking back tears, she said, I picked up my pen and I wrote back to him, my sweet husband, what will happen when we get to the point where you no longer know me. I will continue to go on loving you and caring for you, not because you know me or remember our life, but because I remember you. I will remember the man who proposed to me and told me he loved me, the look on his face when his children were born, the father he was, the way he loved our extended family, I'll recall his love for riding, hiking, and reading, his tears at sentimental movies, the unexpected witty remarks, and how he held my hand while he prayed. I cherish the pleasure, obligation, commitment, and opportunity to care for you because I remember you. I remember you. What loyalty. You know, we live in a very fast-paced society. Workplaces are in flux. Neighborhoods are in flux. People are looking for support. Our wonderful Polish neighbor right across the street is not well. 
He's a senior. He's not getting outside anymore. We used to talk on the lawn. His wife in broken English said to me the other day, You come and see him. You come anytime. Because I might ring your doorbell at midnight. Because he might die during the night. And I will need you. I said, you can do that. Even if you're the one grieving, you can be supportive of others. Who needs you today? Who needs your loyalty? Who needs your support? Remember the Unabomber? (laughs) That's a long time ago. I think it's, I'm guessing, 15 years ago. They finally found out who he was. Ted Kaznaski, a mountain man in Montana. But you know, he grew up a very gifted man. He became a math professor. And he was soon disillusioned, and he moved to the mountains of Montana. And he became this notorious mountain man. But at this point, the the story gets even more interesting. A while ago, his mother, Wanda, was interviewed by a reporter with the Chicago Tribune. And she made these statements that were powerful. At the time that the article was written, she had been writing monthly letters to her son in prison. She shared with the reporter what she had written in her most letter, recent letter. She wrote, I want you to know, Ted, that when a child is born, the parents give them the gift of unconditional love for a lifetime. This is true of you. No matter what happens, my love for you will always be there for a lifetime. Love, Mom. Even after he refused to look at her during the time when he would enter the, the courtroom during his trial, even after he had given testimony in court that described his mother as a horrible person, she still loved him enough to write these monthly letters. That's loyalty. That's commitment. Even when the one to whom you minister is sadly confused or terribly hurtful in their remarks, and you keep on ministering and loving them, So Ruth and Naomi began their journey back home. And verse 19 says, So the two women went until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? I mean, imagine coming back to your hometown, not having seen family and friends in maybe 20, 25 years. Is this our Naomi? But where is her husband? Where is her family? Who is this woman with her? A Moabite woman, you say? The Israelites weren't all that impressed with the Moabites. And surely they could have seen the lines of stress all over Naomi's face. The third thing that helps in times of loss is catching a new perspective of how God is providing What does Naomi do when she sees her friends and loved ones again? She has to tell the story of her pain. You cannot move on until you have poured out the pain in your heart. It is so deep, it is so crushing that she laments her pain. 
You know, when you get around people you know, when you get around fast, solid friends, and you haven't seen them for a while, it doesn't take very long, and you have to pour out the pain that's in your heart. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. By the way, Naomi means pleasant. Don't call me pleasant or Naomi. Call me Mara. The word means bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Well, she's honest. She's grieving. She's in good company. Jeremiah. Job. Moses. David, all expressed their laments to God. It's how they felt. I think God actually appreciates our honesty. It's not wrong to express our feelings. It's only, it, it's only wrong when it crosses the line and we become resentful to God and we no longer trust Him with our lives. But to be honest, to share our feelings, this is what it feels like. Sometimes we have to say those things so that we can get on with our healing and we can get on with our, our lives. The text is, is rather subtle, but you have to know that this is huge in God's provision for Naomi and Ruth. Verse 22, So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law arriving in Bethlehem <clears throat> as the barley harvest was beginning. Now you could just read by that very quickly. But it's very important, those last words. So some of the needs for food would be met in terms of God's provision. It was barley harvest time. And that meant that there was a certain entitlement to the harvest. That meant that she could have access to a portion of the harvest. Naomi was yet to discover how indeed God was going to take care of her. The rest of the book is ample evidence of his provision. Ruth finds a wonderful man, Boaz, and they get married. And to fast forward, Ruth and Boaz have a child. Boaz becomes the umbrella for Naomi. He steps in to be the one who will take care of Naomi and Ruth, a kinsman redeemer. And that was important in their culture. He's the umbrella over this family now, and they needed that covering. And when Ruth has a baby, it's like Naomi has a baby. And the women of the town said, Naomi has a son. Well, Ruth had a son. No, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. Now look, who was Obed? He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And Jesus Christ came through the line of David. In the midst of all the pain, in the midst of all the loss, God was still providing. God was looking out for Naomi and for Ruth. And he was preparing the way for the Savior of the world. And it was happening in Moab. God's ways are higher than our ways.
we may feel devastated, like there's no way we can go on. But God mysteriously and marvelously will provide. And I want to say this morning, he has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten you.